0: Welcome to Hempire, a show dedicated to exploring the many potential therapeutic uses of the cannabis plant. Once a cornerstone of healing and now making a heroic comeback, cannabis has the potential to promote health and well-being, bring the body back to homeostasis, and foster recovery for a healthier way of living. Hempire focuses on a diverse range of serious health issues, presenting views ranging from those of patients and their loved ones to those of researchers and medical professionals. Empire is presented by Nano Soul Pro. Supplementation through education. NanosoulPro.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Hempire. Thanks so much for tuning in. It's me, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As you know, I'm the author of Understanding Marijuana. And I pen the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch. I'm a professor at the University at Albany, State University of New York, and I'm just so glad to have you guys with us. Today we've got Gil Larero from Nanosol Pro and Dr. Andrew Hall at Florida's largest cannabis testing facility. Dr. Hall uh, got a PhD in chemistry, which I assure you is no easy feat, from Florida Atlantic University. And he knows more about the cannabis industry than I could ever tell you. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So, Dr. Hall, I was really just trying to get a feel for what is it like? What happens when
2: cannabis comes in to get tested? Sure. There's a a multitude of kind of tests that go on. And um, I think, as we know, it's a, a mainstream agricultural product. Um, So depending on the product types, um, it'll go down a variety of different testing that will help, you know, really mitigate risk and also um, help you to understand what contaminants might be in the products. We have a variety of instrumentation, about $4 million in instrumentation, um, and these are high-complexity instruments. Um, So we test for a wide range of agricultural contaminants, uh, ranging from pesticides um, residual solvents that are used within the process. So, we, are, um, we have about $4 million in instrumentation, um, which cover a wide variety of different uh, testing protocols to test for contaminants. Um, we test for things like um, pesticides, um, which is run on two separate instruments called an LCMS triple quad as well as a GCMS triple quad. Um, we also test for potency. Um, which is your real federal indicator of legal versus not hemp uh, versus, you know, some of the more recreational and uh, medicinal cannabis that's uh, within the state of Florida. Uh, we test for residual solvents as well, which is used within the extraction of a lot of the CBD products and cannabis products um, to actually remove the cannabinoids. So we want to ensure that there's no um, residual contaminants left from the manufacturing as well as, um, you know, anything that could have potentially come in during the actual processing phase. Um, we really also test for things.
1: It's just super, super interesting and, and you got so many, so many different topics. Could you mind telling us a little bit about testing for THC?
2: Sure, so THC testing is actually quite complicated. Um, depending on the products and as you can see within the CBD market, Um, You know, you have everything from tinctures to suppositories to inhalable pre-rolls to your common vape pens. Um, You know, every product actually behaves differently um, and has to be treated differently, which has caused a lot of this discontinuity uh, within the testing scape. Um, Plus, it's really critical to make sure that all these products are below your 0.3% total THD um, federal requirement. Um, to keep everyone within compliance. So Dr. Hall, can you tell us how GHC testing works? Sure. We use an instrument called an HPLC. Um, It's it's a form of science called chromatography, um, which allows us to actually look at these individual chemicals um, and separate all the different cannabinoids at once. Uh, Typically speaking, depending on the product type, it'll go through a specific sample prep, um, which is specific to those product types to allow us to extract the cannabinoids, um, and then measure them via this instrument. Um, being that all cannabinoid.
1: That's great. And Dr. Hall, I know the limits for THC on the hemp products is really low. How does that
2: work? So THC by the federal standard, um, talks about both THC and, um, THCA, um, and those are both produced within the plant. Um, So we actually have to look at those both separately. Um, But the key is, being such a low concentration, you need to really develop some very specialized, super sensitive methods just to make sure that you're tight within those requirements. Because you're talking about huge huge quantities of product that could be teeter-tottering versus legal or not based on a test result. Um, so it's really, cri- and more importantly, it's going to keep people out of jail. Um, so those methods are really very tailor fit and, you know, really require two separate analysis just to look at your minor cannabinoids and make sure that they're at that threshold as opposed to the larger concentration of either your THC or CBD, depending on whether that's a hemp or cannabis product at that point.
1: It's just so interesting. And then is the CBD testing done at the same time?
2: Yeah. So the chromatography, you actually separate all the cannabinoids out at once. So you extract all cannabinoids and you, you tune in your instrument to look at um, what specific analyte you're looking to looking for, regardless of whether or not it's CBD or any of these contaminants. Um, And they're very specific and we have to buy very expensive, super regulated standards to make sure that what we're reading off that instrument is in fact accurate. Um, you know, so that everyone has the same number if they were to test the same product over and over again. And I know at green
1: scientific, you guys have the the best stuff. We've got Dr. Mallory Laughlin on a show later. She's published a paper saying the variance on these things on the products that are out in the market are, is really pretty high. What do you think's going on there?
2: So, you know, I think a lot of people in this industry, they want to just blame it on the testing industry, Um, but that's not just the case. So really what's going on is we do have systematic errors in our process. Um, And I call that um, an uncertainty budget. So that's calculating out all the possible errors associated with weighing a sample, diluting a sample, and even how precise my instrument is, injection to injection of the same instrument. So me as a laboratory, I have about a, which is really good. And it might seem scary about a 3% uncertainty budget of CBD and THC. Um, However, depending on where you get your standards and how well you've defined your process and how well you maintain your balances, those can get exponentially larger, um, which is just one error within a laboratory. However, when you look at sampling requirements from a laboratory, I have a lot of customers that just put it, give me one milliliter of sample representative, of say a three thousand liter batch. You know, that's that's not really representative, nor is it going to check for things like content uniformity, you know, meaning whether or not these products are mixed well. So I think our industry really needs to work together from a manufacturing side as well as a testing side to really standardize sampling protocols and and multiple analyses of the same batch. Um, you know, you see commonly people unintentionally happen to grab the sample that's you know hits right on target. Um, but then when you look at the entire fill line, that that might have been the perfect sweet spot where part of the products are going low in concentration and part of the products are coming up high. And that's why it's really important for us to really create standardized operating procedures from not only a laboratory perspective, but from a manufacturing perspective, as well as our cross SOPs, which would be our sampling SOPs. And once you rule that out, you tend to have a lot better data.
1: It's really astounding. So you guys must have to have a a pretty big sample to just make this part happen.
2: Yeah. So, so this is, so sampling, it's not just an issue within the cannabis industry. It's all industries. Just statistically speaking, you're looking at about 0.5% of a batch. Um, so when you talk about the cannabis industry, some of these menu, marijuana manufacturers are making about say a 3,500 liter batch. Um, you know, you're talking about 1.5 liters. That means your sample size is in the thousands of dollars, um, you know, which gives people um, issues, but however, through different randomized sampling and different polls, you can kind of tighten that data. And that's why I say sampling protocols are very important because it's how you, how the manufacturer um, takes their sampling will really dictate how representative it is of the entire batch. Um, So there's ways around it, but there's also... Very costly ways that you can just do really quickly at the same time.
1: It's astounding that this hasn't, you know, increased the bottom line at, at things like Nanosol Pro and made things even more expensive. So I'm I'm super impressed with all that. I know we don't have a ton of time before we got to go to commercial. I did want to just say we'll be right back to Empire. This is Dr. Mitch Earlywine. I've got Dr. Andrew Hall from Green Scientific. And we're going to discuss more on insecticides and heavy metals testing and all the wild things that are behind the scenes in the cannabidiol and cannabis industry. We'll be right back.
0: More Empire coming up once we pay homage to our sponsors.
3: Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah. Oh. How sweet it is. Sugis infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Sugis now at com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Dazed and Infused.
4: Garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com.
0: Fostering health, well-being, and a better living. Welcome back to Hempire, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: And we're back. Thanks for tuning in to Hempire. It's Dr. Mitch Earlywine. I'm eager to talk more to Dr. Andrew Hall from Green Scientific, and Gil has a couple of questions. Gil, you want to chime in here?
5: Definitely. Thank you, uh, Dr. Mitch. Well, Dr. Hall, I just want to ask you um, a couple of questions as far as from a consumer perspective. Um, I know they're confused in the sense that they look at a lot of people's certificate of analysis in i know they see like 0.1 0.000 0.000 why is there such a diversity i should say on the amount of uh, decimals behind every report that companies have out there can can you help us out with that
2: sure so that's really defined as our limit of detection and limit of quantification so as as these labs mature and everyone gets under the regulated scope of iso you validate your methods and you um, demonstrate the scrutiny at which what levels you can detect accurately too. So every lab has really its own in-house method that they've developed that they put through different processes to demonstrate that. Um, so due to the discontinuity in testing, meaning there's no standard USP, ASTM monographs on potency, everyone's kind of limited to their scientific expertise to figure out a method that goes down to certain detection. Um, Also, on other states, there's different requirements for how low you need to detect. Um, In the state of, say, Illinois, they have a zero THC policy. Um, However, as you look further down the road, it actually goes down to 0.01%, so just two decimals. So as the states and federal mandates come out, you'll figure out more um, limits, you'll figure out more limits that are associated with what's gonna be required for testing. Really what's key now is having a detection limit low enough to accurately detect for THC down to that 0.3 limit with confidence, which is more important.
5: All right, so for our consumers, uh, I guess uh, the uh, the, the more decimals it has, the better it is, correct?
2: Yes and no. Uh, I really think that the decimal places are going to kind of cause skew in your data. So I think everyone as an industry is moving for this full spectrum product. But if you have more decimals, just because you have 0.001% CBG doesn't mean a consumer is actually getting uh, quantifiable amounts into their system. So it's caused a little bit of a discontinuity in what advertising people want and what people really want from a scientific perspective. However, I do think those limits are important when it comes to, say, zero THC products uh, because that might fail someone on a drug test. So people should know that they might have small risk of that exposure
5: as well. Interesting. Interesting. Now, also from a consumer perspective, what should a person be looking for in a certificate of analysis?
2: I personally, this sounds terrible. Um, Potency is actually not my most important thing. Uh, Potency will let you know you have your label claim. It's within target. And if you look at typical FDA regs, you're allowed 20% target. So having 500 and needing a 501 milligram is not as important. When you look at mainstream agricultural products, most recalls, in general, it's associated with food contaminants, meaning microorganisms growing, pesticides um, being used on the product or overspray, um, heavy metals testing. You know We know that these plants suck up um, all the heavy metals from the land, and it's used in Europe for bioremediation purposes. So it's really the contaminants on the full, full panels as opposed to just the potency test that really will dictate health for a consumer. And if you look at most risks associated with adverse effects from cannabis in general, it always always comes from the contaminants, not necessarily the products that were put in there intentionally.
1: Can you elaborate a second on the heavy metals testing? Because I know that's a big concern to a lot of folks.
2: So if you look in Europe, they actually use the hemp plant for land. They actually use it for Chernobyl to remove some of the uranium-enriched land. Um, so plants do a really cool thing. Well, hemp specifically called bioremediation and you kind of heard about it with the oil spills with Valdez where they put bacteria to try to eat up the oil. It didn't really work in that scenario. However, in this scenario, the plant will, if you have low trace levels of metal, you put the plant, it's going to take it, keep it within the plant and keep sucking it up to actually remove it from the land. So the land might've been clean, but the plant's going to keep adding more and more of these toxic heavy metals over time. So it's gonna be, might be clean land at first, but those trace levels will keep accumulating to toxic levels over time.
1: That is riveting. Man, I really appreciate you elaborating on that. And then you've alluded to these uh, insecticides and pesticides. Could you tell us how some of that works?
2: Sure, pesticides are used everywhere. Uh, I think we all know that. And fortunately there are some good organic pesticides that come from other natural organisms. However, we as an industry haven't really understood how these pesticides affect these crops. The consumption, meaning if you take mycobutanol, which is a widely used pesticide, how is it used for for inhalation purposes? You know, it's very toxic. Um, So that pesticide shouldn't be used. So I think we have a lot of misinformed farmers um, and consumers and production people that are trying to make products without really knowing the harm, and they're misinformed, meaning they are taking products and pushing it through the market and not really realizing the risks associated with these different contaminants. We know that regular food has pesticides, but depending on its route of administration, it's less toxic. And you can see this within the state rules of California, even Florida of pesticide limits change depending on routes of administration.
1: And I'm just curious, it sounds
2: like Florida has some pretty strict regulations. Super strict regulations. So Florida has some of the lowest limits of detection for pesticides out there. Same with metals as well as microbial limits. So it's very challenging from a scientific perspective and it creates a really big barrier to entry from the testing escape because you have to develop really specialized methods, really put in the work. From an investment side, just from the scientific method development, my pesticides method cost us about sixty thousand dollars And that's just to do the work to figure it out not all labs really have that knowledge base or expertise on instruments to really figure these things out and do it right. Cause we're not worried about false positives as an industry. I'm really worried about a false negative, meaning I put out a result that did not say it had this microorganism when it was actually there and a consumer gets it. And you already see certain deaths, you know, today with, or this week with that Hushan uh, mushroom um, that has killed three people. So now, without these recalls in place, you can really hurt people. Man, that is a little bit horrifying. Uh, I'm curious too, if you've got
1: a insecticide or a unique metal combination, is is that going to mess up your sensitivity somehow?
2: So, though it's not the sensitivity, it's the product type. So when you talk about instruments, we have things that we call matrix interference, ion suppression, ion enhancement. And it all boils down to matrix effect. I've spent a lot of time and hence why it cost me that much money to really mitigate those issues to show that I have all the controls in place to ensure that my data is accurate, reproducible and really accounts for all that data. And knowing that there's a bunch of different products, depending on your product category, meaning a cream and MCT oil based tincture or a sesame seed oil tincture or a gummy that's made from gelatin versus a gummy made from pectin These all require different sample preps, and that that helps mitigate the issue with sensitivity in those situations. So depending on your product type, my LODs and LOQs change based on what I validated and I've deemed fit, and that'll prevent a lot of the false positives and really erroneous data that's plagued this industry.
1: Wow. It's way more complicated than any of us may have ever guessed, and I really appreciate you getting into it. We're going to have to have Dr. Hall, come back and and elaborate some more in our next episode. But right now, it's uh, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. I just want to say thanks so much for tuning in to Hempire. It's me, Gil Laredo from Nanosol Pro, and Dr. Andrew Hall from Green Scientific. Thanks so much for tuning in.
0: More Hempire coming up once we pay homage to our sponsors. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. But a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The games about the game are growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the board, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, with Khalifa with a bong.
1: The name of the game is pink, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc is even hot proved by the man who run high times. Oh yeah, get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana llama out. Got to tend to me on crop channel. You know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc.
3: Welcome to Cannabis Confidential. I'm your host, Dr. Dina. We've got David Faustino on the line. Bud Bundy from Married with Children. Did you feel nervous being a celebrity walking into a
2: weed store? I don't remember at all being like, ooh, I'm scared. someone's going to take my picture here. What are
3: they going to say? Bud Bundy smokes Bud? I mean, come on.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be
0: a big shocker. Hey, this is David Faustino, and I'm on Cannabis Confidential with my girl, Dr. Dina, on CannabisRadio.com.
4: The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the 2020 Cannabis Caucus Event Series from March 10th through March 26th. Don't miss this exclusive opportunity for NCIA members to network, learn about regional issues from influential guest speakers, and get the latest news about NCIA's federal policy work and emerging topics. Look for this year's only tour of Cannabis Caucus events coming to Portland, Denver, St. Louis, Detroit. Chicago, Newark, Sacramento, and Los Angeles this March. Stay connected, get informed, and take action to protect our industry and your business. Register now for your complimentary tickets at thecannabisindustry.org events.
0: Fostering health, well-being, and a better living. Welcome back to Empire, only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: Hey, it's Dr. Mitch Earlywine at Hempire. Thanks so much for tuning in. I've got Dr. Andrew Hall from Green Scientific, and we were just elaborating a little bit on the testing process. Dr. Hall, you've alluded to different products, and we always kind of just thought the plant came in, and that was really it. Can you elaborate on how
2: it really works? So typically speaking, the plant is just one portion of this entire supply chain. Actually, it starts with the seed. Uh, so once the plant's grown, the plant's harvested, milled, and you typically extract them through different solvents or different extraction techniques. So what happens is you'll have a crude extract of cannabinoids, fats, lipids, proteins, and they wind up enriching it further to create either pure cannabinoids, so pure CBD, pure CBG, pure CBN, or one of the other of a 100-plus cannabinoids. That process, once you isolate and have these enriched extracts, we we'll wind up going in a variety of products. So the majority of what people see, it's tinctures, which is MCT oil mixed with the cannabinoids to a certain concentration. But you have gummies, you have tinctures, you have, you have um, skincare creams, you have toners, you have bath bombs, you have you know, suppositories all the way up to you know, sex lube that I've seen. Um, and it it's all has different ingredients that will actually cause differences in my data meaning that fluctuation in data. So if we don't have the right tailor-fit methods to accommodate a broad spectrum of these products, it can cause a lot of issues. So I've seen a huge amount of products influx the market. A lot I don't necessarily agree with. uh, But, you know, you'll see these things kind of hammer down over time. So it's just another ingredient into all the food products out there. And, you know, we'll see how things happen over time. Wow. Okay. I, I'm getting a better feel for it. And I really appreciate you elaborating, Dr. Hall. Are there
1: parts of the industry that we should know about as far as testing is concerned? I mean, are there, are
2: there things that people just wouldn't suspect? You mean, so can you elaborate a little further? So are you talking about just testing methods or where I see this industry going? Because I think from a testing scape, you know, if you look at the way Europe's uh, categorized CBD now they categorize it as a novel food additive. So that's about a $400,000 submission package for compliance, but that requires a much greater magnitude of testing than just what these states are doing. So if you look at even the FDA's rules on botanical based extracts, which is where CBD would default, they ask you to categorize seed to sale. So where the point of origin is, make sure you have all the protein content, all the fat content and have a really standardized extract. So I I think what you're going to see is a larger array of testing and more specific to the products. And one of the greatest deficiencies that I've really seen in this industry is stability testing. So you can make your product today and it, and it's going to test out at a, a thousand milligrams, but your product might interact with your packaging, your shipping. And over time, that will degrade. So it's really critical to not only test your product when you make it, but see what's going on over time. And you can see this with a lot of the water solubles. And we've seen a lot of people as they manufacture their products, have a great product, but when they put it into different packaging, that's what causes the issue. So it's not only formulation stability, but it's also package stability. And is, are these packaging, you know, even leaching out heavy metals? Um, This is a big industry issue in the industry is everyone really needs to work on what I call as their supply chain validation. So it's not just testing your product, but testing every aspect of your industry. And how would that stability
1: testing really work?
2: So we have chambers in here. Um, ICH, um, which is a nationally recognized organization sets guidelines. So you put it into a chamber at set temperature and humidity, you leave it in there and you test it at different time points. Um, They also have guidelines for accelerated aging, which is high heat, high humidity, which forces degradation. So if you put it in an extreme condition and you force degradation, you can artificially put your um, date of expiration 2x to what that time point is. But at the same point, you do real formal stability studies and make sure your product lasted for two years. So when you manufacture on day one, you pull your retain, and it should test out the same after two years. But if it only tested the same out after six months, that seven months it degraded, your product's only good for six months. So it's important for manufacturers to start understanding that so that they can put the proper label claims. So they're not held to this liability claim of a product decomposing one. It's not due to them intentionally doing it, but it's due to misinformation and a little bit of lack of understanding of their products themselves.
1: Wow, it sounds like the testing industry is markedly more complicated than any of us might have suspected. I got to admit, I thought everybody had the same machine and you just had a manual and you just kind of followed it along, but it's obviously a bigger deal than that. Hey, it's Dr. Mitch Earlywine here, I really appreciate everybody tuning in. We've had Andrew Hall from Green Scientific, Gil Laredo from Nanosol Pro. I'm Dr. Mitch, follow your heart and let the data be your guide.